Zinchenko's Ukraine miss out on qualification for the European Championships in controversial circumstances. England disappoint again. The latest on Ruben Neves. Arsenal face competition for Martin Zubamendi and Takahiro Tomiyasu is wanted by another European giant. All of that and some of your questions answered on today's episode of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Let's go. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the show. Hope you're good, hope you're well, hope you're having a very, very happy Tuesday. It is Tuesday today, right? Yeah, this international break's got me all over the place in terms of my dates, my times, my schedule. Um, I'm sort of getting inquiries in for work and like having to think really long and hard about what days I can and can't do. Of course, the Christmas period is coming up and um, the last thing I want to do is make a promise to someone and then not be able to fulfill it. But I don't know, I just feel a little bit disorientated this last week or so it's probably because of the international break and you know the fact that the schedule that you normally stick to and, and normally run by is disrupted it's it's different and you know that can of course have an impact anyway hope you guys are all feeling good hope you're all feeling well um and uh yeah sort of embracing the winter i was speaking to someone earlier today about seasonal depression i think um I'm not going to go as far as using the term depression, but I certainly think that the season uh, change has uh, impacted me in terms of the weather that we're dealing with now. You know, you wake up in the morning, you set off for work and it's dark. You come back in the evening and again, it's dark. It, I think it makes a big difference uh, to people. It certainly does to me. Um, let me know in the chat uh, what you guys think about that. But I certainly think it plays a part in my mood. It takes me a bit of time at the beginning of the winter to kind of adjust to um, what the routine is going to look like and the fact that I'm going to get up in the dark and I'm going to come home in the dark. That's just the way it goes, right? Um, quick um, quick little story uh, I want to tell you. Not really a story, but just something I wanted to highlight before we dive into uh, the content of today's show. And there's lots and lots to get into, so I can't wait uh, to do that. If you've got any questions or thoughts uh, on anything that we discuss, please do throw them in the chat box and we'll discuss your questions at length. Uh, at the end of the show, of course. But I just wanted to let you guys know um, about something that happened early this morning. And uh, it was an email that I received from one of our very, very loyal listeners, someone that is always involved in the conversation, someone that listens religiously to every single show, often sends me emails uh, about why they disagree with me, but that's absolutely fine. Um, but I had an email from uh, this person this morning who explained that they'd been a little bit quieter in the sort of chat boxes and in terms of the volume of emails they were sending and all the rest of it just because they were going through a little bit of a difficult time now, i'm not going to go into detail with regards to why exactly that is that's their business and it's it's up to them if they want to share that that's not my my sort of it, it's not my decision to make right whether that becomes public knowledge or, or whether that is shared but I found it really, really touching that that this particular person had, had sort of gone out of his way to send the email to say that this podcast is helping them. And look, we talk about football on a daily basis. And, you know, some people agree with me, some people disagree with me. But what I like to think we've built is a bit of a family here and a bit of a community. And I know that when I uh, am having a slightly difficult time, you know, I like to listen to things to distract me. Sometimes I listen to music. Sometimes I find other ways to occupy myself that I wouldn't under normal circumstances just to give myself that distraction that maybe my mind needs at that time and um, when I got this email this morning I was really really proud because it seems that we've been able to build that 
it seems that we've been able to create a sort of community here. And, and listen, a podcast is a community, no matter how big or small. It doesn't matter if you've got five listeners that religiously tune in or or 500 or 5,000 or, or 500,000. It doesn't really matter. Um, a podcast is a community. And that's why I think it's a really, really special uh, form of media in comparison to some of the others where you're not really a part of a community. You might be a listener, but I think the way we engage online and, and you know, as long as that's done in the right way, which I'm glad to say that here it is, and then I think it can be a really, really powerful thing. So um, I just wanted to share that because that made me really proud to hear that the Chronicles of Aguna podcast in some way it is able to help someone. And it doesn't matter how big or small the help is, it, it's help. And and I love that because, you know, there are lots of people out there that set out to do that, to, to help people, to support people, to aid people. We set out to to make a football podcast, to make an Arsenal podcast. But, um, you know, we've, we've been able to achieve other things as well, helping people, creating this community that people feel like they can share things in. Um, and I'm, I'm really, really proud of that. So thank you uh, for the email. Um, I hope everything uh, improves. And I'm glad that, as I say, the podcast in some small way uh, has been able to um, to support you during this really, really difficult time. So uh, all the best. I uh, just wanted to share that little anecdote there. Um, right. We're going to take. Uh, no, we're not going to take a pause. I, I was going to hit the sting to, you know, go into the subject. You know what? Should we do it just for good effect? Let's get into today's stories. we go <laughs> right let's start off with some of the international football that took place last night alexander zinchenko's ukraine missed out on qualification for euro 2024 under controversial circumstances they felt they should have been awarded a penalty shortly before full time when mikhailo mudrik went down under cristante's challenge in the box despite a var check the officials proceeded with the referee's original decision of no penalty and i guess the debate and the question is was it a penalty? Should Ukraine have been awarded a spot kick right at the death of that one? Which, had they scored, they'd have leapfrogged Italy in the group and it'd be them who were celebrating uh, qualification for next summer's European Championships at the final whistle. I think this is a really, really difficult one. I've got to be honest. I think this is a... When people say that there are some decisions that, you know, could go one way or the other and, you know, you could make a case either way, this very much is one of them. Unlike... And I said I wasn't going to mention it anymore, but I am just going to use it here. Unlike the foul on Gabriel up at Newcastle, that was completely ignored by the officials. Um, this one could have gone either way. I think I, I think the reason that the on-field referee doesn't give it in the end is because, for me, he's probably seen Mikhailo Mudrik's action, if you want to call it that. I don't want to call it a dive because there was contact from Cristante, but I think the way that Mudrik throws himself to the ground is not very convincing. And so I can understand why if you're watching that in real time, you'd have thought, no, you know, you look at the clock, 92nd minute, whatever it is, it feels like he is trying to buy a penalty out of desperation because of the situation and the circumstances that Ukraine find themselves in. On the other hand, there is that contact and we've seen a precedent be set in the Premier League. You know, I'm certain that had that been in the Premier League, the VAR would have intervened and the penalty would have been given. But it, it goes back to the point I always make. You know, VAR isn't used as often in other leagues. And when it is, the frequency with which the VAR re-referees a game is, is far less. So, you know, when I 
realized that they weren't going to give it, I wasn't like massively surprised by that because that's the standard that's been set on the continent. Unlike in the Premier League where every little touch, every little movement, you know, is a penalty, is a foul. It constitutes a penalty. We've got to this point where we've become really, really sort of forensic in our sort of analysis of, of every incident. And at times we're overcomplicating it and over-refereeing. You know, I don't think that you get that as often on the continent. And I think you saw a good example of that last night. Now, it's no coincidence that if you talk to fans from, you know, and I've spoken to a few people this morning about this. If you speak to people from Spain, Germany, they'll tell you, no, it's it's okay that it wasn't awarded. You know, maybe there's a debate and a question there, but I'm actually fine with the decision not to give that. If you speak to Premier League fans, they'll all tell you Stonewall penalty. And the reason is the reason I've just discussed, which is the way we over-referee and the way we forensically analyze all of these things week after week after week because of the level of scrutiny that VAR in this country is under. And so I think that's why you've seen a split uh, in how people are looking at this incident and, and at this circumstance. Look, nothing against Ukraine, right? You know, I've literally nothing against them. I've got no, no issue uh, with them whatsoever. But you'll all know that I'm a big Italian football fan. So for me, I wanted Italy to get through, um, you know, and I'm delighted that they have. They get an opportunity to defend their crown next summer in Germany. What I will say is that Luciano Spalletti's got a lot of work to do based on that performance last night, generally and overall. Um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, I'm pleased for Italy. Obviously, uh, Ukraine will feel hard done by and you can understand how that can be a bitter pill to swallow. We've been there, right? We know what it's like. Um, but I am I am pleased that Italy made it. No offence to any Ukrainians listening. Elsewhere, North Macedonia held England to a very, very frustrating draw. Um, another really, really dire performance from England. Another really, really boring game in which England were involved. What I did find, though, um, quite poor, actually, was I was listening to the radio because I didn't sit and, and watch these games last night. I, I watched extended highlights of the Italy game uh, back when I got in. Uh, I went out for a meal for a friend's birthday and I watched um, the England highlights when I got back. Not not extended. Uh, I'd heard what a dire game it was and didn't bother. Um, but, you know, th this whole England thing, right? You know, is it a problem? Is it a concern at this stage that they're not playing very well? I, I guess it's probably not. But I think, as I said the other day when we were talking about the Malta game, if you've made that journey, if you've made that trip and you've committed your time and effort to be there and to support the team and you watch a performance like that, you are going to be dispirited and you are going to be disappointed. That's just the way it goes. You know, Gareth Southgate's getting a lot of heat, as he always does, but I think he'll take England into the last stages of the tournament uh, next summer and people will will have to be <laughs> be put back in their place a little bit. I understand that people don't think he's the man and they think that with someone superior, they could do better. I get that. But I just think Gareth Southgate is partly the reason why the expectation levels around England are so high at the moment. So let him see it out. After this tournament, I agree he should walk and he should go. Um, but the other thing, the thing that I was going to say really annoyed me and then I went off on a tangent, was the disrespect for North Macedonia. Um, you know, there's a lot of nations that maybe don't have star names on paper, that maybe when you look at their roster in comparison to England's are incomparable. But there are sides that are able to come together as a cohesive unit and cause people problems. International football, in my opinion, is a lower standard than, you know, Champions League football, for example. Right. So that means the gap between some of the sides is um, 
is leveled out because of the lack of cohesion and the lack of familiarity that you sometimes get, right? So a bunch of talented England players coming together that don't play every single week are not instantly as good as the team that in theory those individuals should make up if they were playing together week in, week out and all worked under the same coach and had the same ideas, philosophies. So you've got to bear that in mind with international football. And, you know, England were already through, you know, what really was up for grabs, what was at stake. The truth is nothing. So you can understand a, a sort of below par performance. What I would say, though, is North Macedonia cost Italy a place at the last World Cup. And I remember sort of people saying then, you know, this is a decent outfit. They are capable of causing surprises and shocks. Yet when they faced England, it was, well, how many goals can we put past them? And I just think to myself sometimes, just wind it in a bit. You know, just wind it in a bit, pay a bit of respect to the opponent. And if you do that, which is the right thing to do, then you're probably not going to end up going on an angry tirade when you see your team um, struggle over the course of the 90 minutes. So if you pay the right amount of respect to these sides, I, I don't think you'll be as surprised with some of the outcomes as people seem to be whenever England don't do um, their very, very best. But hey, that's just my uh, take on it. Um Let's see what uh, you guys uh, are saying in the chat. We've been talking a little bit about VAR. Um, Tom says, uh, VAR will never be fit for purpose as long as they keep that subjective nonsense of clear and obvious error and focusing instead on establishing what happened regardless of the initial on-field call. I agree with that. And, and Tom goes on to say, must just provide better footage for the main ref to make up his own mind from the screens. I agree with that. I think it should be, unless we're talking about offsides, which obviously they have the capability of looking at, um, you know, with the, the lines and all the rest of it. Unless it's something factual like that, I do think it should be a case of call the referee over, you know, and, and let him have a look. That's that's how I see it. You know, I think that's the right way to go. Um, Steve says, uh, for me, the thing I love about football the most is the feeling and the outpouring of joy when a goal is scored. VAR has managed to dilute that feeling to the point of dehydration. Another great point. Um, and I think that's a lot to do with the way um, the way it's communicated, the way it's put across to us as well, especially when you're in the stadium and you don't get that clarity around what's going on. James Bond says that's why they lost, talking about England, the last Euro final. Started singing It's Coming Home, disrespecting Italy. Agreed. Agreed. Like, obviously, that's not the actual reason they lost. But, you know, what more do you need as an opposition player in terms of motivation than to listen to England fans singing it's coming home? Like, that that's the team talk done for you. If if England meet Italy um, in the Euros next summer, Luciano Spalletti's team talk is done for him if that happens. And I think that's the point there. Anyway, let's take a really, really short pause. And then we're going to talk Ruben Neves. Uh, as well as uh, Martin Zubimendi, Takiro Tomiyasu, and we're going to take some of your questions from the live chat. Do not go anywhere. I'll be right back just after this. Hey, everybody. Good afternoon. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna Live on the YouTube channel, uh, also available for you to watch back later on or listen to on your preferred podcast platform. Do leave us a review wherever it is that you're taking the content in from. If you're watching us on YouTube, please do leave us a like and subscribe. It really, really does help. Now, over recent days, uh, particularly during this international break, links have emerged once again between Arsenal and the former Wolverhampton Wanderers midfielder Ruben Neves. However, David Ornstein, aka the Ornicle, 
has poured cold water uh, over that story. He put out a post this morning on The Athletic and it said, Ruben Neves set to stay at Al-Hilal in January window regardless of the PL vote on associated party loans. As things stand, the 26-year-old not expected to leave. There have been no approaches or talks yet and the Portuguese midfielder is happy, settled and crucial to Al-Hilal. Now, to be clear on what that vote is, the PL vote on associated party loans, there is a vote taking place today of which we don't know the outcome just yet that will either allow or ban um, the uh, the movement of players on loan between associated parties. So, you know, for example, the PIF uh, clubs in Saudi Arabia, the four clubs that are owned by the Saudi PIF, obviously Newcastle United are owned by them too. So um, that would prohibit, if the vote goes that way, those two clubs loaning players uh, one way or the other. You know, you look at, I think, Manchester City and I think it's Girona in Spain. Um, is it Girona or Granada? I can't remember one of them um, off the top of my head. You look at, you know, uh, the, the, you know, the City group is a big one, isn't it? You know, there's a number of clubs involved uh, in that group of clubs. You look at, you know, Ineos who have, uh, I think it's Lille in France and then are looking to secure a stake in Manchester United. So the idea is to stop this happening so that clubs are not gaining advantages, sporting advantages at least, based on the fact or direct sporting advantages, because you can gain sporting advantages if you go around the houses a little bit, but direct sporting advantages from uh, the fact that they're in in a multi-ownership group. So, yeah, we're going to have to see how that goes. I've always said uh, about, uh, Leo, I said Nice, that's it. Cheers, mate. Um, I've always said that, I've admired Ruben Neves. I've always thought that he would be uh, a good signing for Arsenal. I always felt that, you know, he could f- sit as a six if he really needed to. But I think predominantly he was a bit, he's, he's more of an eight to me. Um, but he does have that capability of dropping into those deeper positions, getting on the ball from those kind of areas, breaking lines. And he does have a tenacity and a nastiness about him that you'd probably look for in a defensive midfielder as well. So while I prefer him in a slightly more advanced role, I thought for a long time that Ruben Neves would be a good signing because A, he's a great player, but B, because he ticks multiple boxes. And, uh, you know, we hear about versatility all the time. We've spoken about him during many, 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 many uh, previous summers. But my suspicion was uh, that that ship had sailed. And this from David Ornstein, I think, reinforces that view. It seems that despite reports and suggestions to the contrary, he is staying put and is settled and happy playing in the Saudi Pro League. So there's no real point in talking more about Ruben Neves over the coming weeks and months. I'm sure we will hear about it again, but at this moment in time on on Tuesday, the 21st of November, this feels like a bit of a pointless conversation because David Ornstein has confirmed, uh, and David Ornstein is very, very rarely wrong on these things, that Ruben Neves has no plans, that Al-Hilal have no plans for a move in January. So you can forget about that one and let's turn our attention to other subjects. Speaking of which, Martin Zubimendi will come on to him in just a second. According to Sport, Martin Zubimendi is top of Barcelona's wish list, meaning that Arsenal, also said to have concrete interest in the player, face competition for his signature. It's important to note, though, that Sport are a Barcelona-based outlet, um, and that, you know, is one of those... You know, I mentioned it yesterday, Tuto Juve, 
I mean, we were we were looking into a report from there, and I wanted to provide some context around that. But everything I said on yesterday's show about Tuto Juve, about the fact that they will be wired in um, to Juventus, applies to Sport and to Barcelona. Sport being the publication. Look, he's got two goals and an assist so far uh, in La Liga this season. Deep line midfield player. I'm not exactly going to measure him on those outputs, but I thought that was interesting to note. He's got a release clause from what we understand. Um, we understand that Arsenal's interest in him, Mikel Arteta's in particular, is long-standing. Real Sociedad is the club where it all started for Mikel Arteta. He is from that region, from that city of uh, of San Sebastian. And I'm sure, um, you know, he will be keeping a keen eye on any talents that come through the ranks there. I do think that we need to look at replacing Thomas Partey down the line. Now, whether we do it in January in the shape of somebody like Martin Zubamendi and we almost accelerate, bring forward plans um, that maybe otherwise were in place for the summer, then, you know, I, I, I don't see us going big on a midfielder. So I don't see us going and bringing in a midfielder that we're not sure about just to kind of get by this season and then have to rethink that whole area again. I don't see us letting Thomas Partey go despite interest from Juventus and and some of the Saudi clubs sort of uh, resurfacing again. Zubimendi is one that we are looking at for the future, have been looking at for a long, long time. As I say, if this is one that we can get done now, um, and it means we hold on to Partey until the end of the season, but then we let him go knowing that we've already addressed that issue, then great. Um, happy days. And let me just be clear, when I say let Thomas Partey go, it's not for any other reason other than the fact that he just can't stay fit. I think he's a super talented player, one of the best in our squad. But if you're not fit, it, it means nothing, right? It, uh, unavailability is, is a big, big problem. Um, so, yeah, the, the point I'm trying to make, and I've gone around the houses a little bit, is that I don't want Arsenal to go and bring in a stopgap um, unless it's relatively low value and something that, you know, I'm convinced is going to help us in the here and now. There's no point in making a project sign-in on someone that you're not sure about um, for the future and then giving him that six-month period to bed in. If there's someone out there like Zubimendi who you think is ready now, ripe enough to come straight into your side, and you can bring that move forward that was maybe earmarked for the summer to January, hey, happy days, go out and do it. But we're going to have to wait and see what happens with that. Barcelona will be strong competition. Whatever you say about them, whatever you say about La Liga, they're a massive pool still. They're still a huge, huge football club. We talk about their financial problems quite frequently, but they always seem to find a way. Um, and Martin Zubimendi in the past has talked about wanting to stay in Spain. So again, although this is just a report and I have to take it with a pinch of salt because it's from a Barcelona-based outlet, this does concern me a little bit because Zubimendi is someone I quite like and someone I think Arsenal probably should look at in the summer. I'm sure the club have done far more research and analysis on him than I ever would or could. But th the point I'm trying to make is... Um, yeah, if we're going to um, if we're going to pursue this in the summer, and that's what Barcelona are, are said to want to do, then maybe we should try and accelerate this and get it done in January. If, of course, we can make the funds available, and as long as we're in line with financial fair play and all the rest of it, or profit and sustainability rules, as they're now uh, known then let's, let's try and do it. But the Barca interest, it, you know, it does concern me a little bit, particularly if Arsenal are going to wait until the summer because zubamendi has been very clear before that he's got very little intention at this moment in time of leaving Spain. 
Anyway, uh, we're going to move on to our final story and then we're going to take some of your questions to start throwing them in the like. Takahiro Tomiyasu is wanted by another European giant. Florian Plettenberg has reported that Takahiro Tomiyasu could be a target for Bundesliga giants Bayern Munich. Thomas Tuchel is currently in charge at the Allianz Arena and he's made it clear, apparently, that he's looking at Premier League players in terms of building the Bayern Munich machine back up to a level and to a strength where they can challenge for the UEFA Champions League. Here are my thoughts on this. No, nope, not a chance. Keep a hold of Tomiyasu at all costs. I've been, you know, really frustrated at times by his injury issues, um, but I think his versatility is so key to our squad. The way he's come in and filled in that left back and, and at times, you know, got himself in front of Zinchenko in the pecking order was a massive part of our relative success last season. You know, has been nothing short of brilliant. At right back, he's, he's very, very comfortable. He's also shown um, that he can play at centre-back, um, which I really, really like as well. You know, why would we, and I said this about Fabio Vieira yesterday, we've worked so hard to build ourselves to a point where we have a squad. You don't then want to start dismantling components of that unless you're going to be able to use that money to go out and upgrade. And when you look at Tommy Asu, the fact that he's seemingly willing to play this in and out role at Arsenal and seemingly willing to play in a number of different positions, um, you know, that, that makes him, a very rare diamond, if you like. So I'd like to keep him. I don't think it will benefit us um, if we were to lose him. You know, maybe when Jury and Timber's back, that might look a bit different. But I'd still argue that Tommy Astor is incredibly valuable and important to us. So uh, I don't want to see him go. But just to bring that up to uh, your attention, Bayern Munich, uh, according to a number of uh, Bundesliga-linked journalists are at least eyeing up the possibility. But um, yeah, I, I personally don't see it happening. I don't think Arsenal should even entertain that conversation. Um, Jimmy says, if you would have to sell him, at what price? 60 million, 65 million. Um, you know, people argue, well, but he doesn't start. People argue that, you know, technically in terms of, you know, how he looks and, you know, on the ball that is and, and sort of the clunkiness with which he sometimes carries himself, that he's not worth anywhere near that. But I think his versatility is huge. I think his physicality is a big asset. And I think the fact that he can play in a multitude of positions makes him very, very valuable. So, um, yeah, I, I, you'd have to offer me 60, 65 million for me to even think about it. And I don't think Bayern Munich are going to pay that for Takahiro Tomiyasu. So I guess what I'm saying, if you read between the lines is, we probably don't have to worry about this one at this moment in time. Um, get me a couple of questions in the chat box before I uh, sail off into this. I was going to say sunset, but I haven't seen any sun for about four days in this uh, in this city of London. So, uh, yeah, um, let me know uh, if there's anything that you want to ask before we sign out. And uh, we'll do that just after this. Just a quick recap of our stories today while you guys uh, populate the chat box. Zinchenko's Ukraine missed out on qualification for the European Championships in controversial circumstances. England were disappointing again. Ruben Neves is staying put. Arsenal faced competition from Barcelona for Martin Zubamendi's signature. And Takahiro Tomiyasu is said to be of interest to Bayern Munich. If you haven't done so already, please like, please subscribe. Um, if you are listening on audio, please do leave us a review as well. That really, really does help. And uh, yeah, let's uh, dive back into the chat box and see what it is uh, that's on you guys' lips. Uh, Afsar says, 
Should we loan out Fabio Vieira? I said this yesterday. I don't think we're at that point yet. And I don't think that we should be weakening our squad mid-season. I think if we get to the end of this season and Fabio Vieira is still stuttering in terms of, you know, his ability to impact and his ability to kind of really make a case for himself in the team. And I have to say as well, like the context around this is important, right? It's not easy for someone to come in and out of a side like he does and be... um, and be impactful every time. Like there's no rhythm to what he's doing. There's no opportunity to build a head of steam. There's there's none of that for Fabio Vieira. He just has to come in cold at times and he's expected to perform. And because he hasn't really convinced people at Arsenal yet, there's always that additional level of scrutiny on him. If we got to the end of the season and we still all felt the same about Fabio Vieira and the likelihood of him having a big impact going forward at Arsenal, then I'd agree with you that loaning him out might be for the best. But at this stage, I think it's too early to say that. I also don't think that with Emil Smith-Rowe out injured, with Martin Odegaard uh, having not returned yet, I I don't think that this is the right time uh, to be doing that. I I just don't. Uh, Jimmy says, uh, do you think we will end up with a player in January that no one thought of, like Fabio Vieira? Yeah, probably. Probably. I believe that Arsenal are actively looking to recruit. I believe that Arsenal... um, will be working under some kind of restrictions at the moment because of their financials. Um, I'm not saying that the club are poor or that the club are broke, but obviously within certain accounting periods, they're only allowed to spend certain amounts of money. And I think from what I understand, we're sailing quite close to the wind on that. So I think they're going to have to get maybe a bit creative in the way that they do this deal or whatever deal it is. I think they did that with uh, David Raya. So we've seen that the club can do that, but obviously it's dependent on the circumstances. If you've got a player like Raya, who wanted to go and wanted to join Arsenal and is pushing it from his side, that becomes an easier thing to do, um, particularly when that player is adamant. So I think we're going to have to be creative, but I wouldn't be surprised uh, in answer to your question if the window opened and we heard that Arsenal were in talks for someone that never even came across uh, our minds at any point over the course of the season. That's just sometimes the way it goes. And if that is the way it goes, it means the club have done a great job of keeping it under wraps. Steve Stone says, do you feel there is a possibility with Everton's point deduction, uh, it could deflate the upcoming transfer market? Um, That's a really, really good point. That's a really, really good point. Um, About the potential of, uh, of sort of the transfer market changing, clubs perhaps being a little bit more cautious than they would have been previously not believing in their ability to, and I'm not saying anybody does this, but not believing in their ability to make the numbers work if they go too far. And from fear of a real sanction and a real um, severe punishment coming their way. So, yeah, um, I think that's a really, really good point. And it's one that we can revisit, I guess, um, when the sort of transfer window opens and we gauge the level of activity. Now, I'd always argue that the January window tends to be a little bit less explosive. It tends to be a bit more of a slow burner. You tend to get that sort of influx of business at the end of the window. So it might not be easy to read straight away, but it's a really great point. And you've planted that seed in my mind now, Steve. So I'll certainly be uh, looking out for that. Guys, uh, thank you so, so much. That brings us to the end of this episode. It is the international break. So I'm keeping them to around about half an hour of the episodes. I don't want to just chat for the sake of it. I don't want to make up stories. I don't want to dive 
down rabbit holes that we don't need to. Um, we just want to keep you up to date with the latest news. Share some thoughts on those. And uh, yeah, looking forward uh, to, to tomorrow's episode, I beg your pardon. I'll catch you all then. Until then, take care of yourselves. Like, subscribe, review. You know the drill by now. See you all soon. Until the next one. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>